I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to your Friday episode of Private Parts. Uh, a really great episode today because we have Dr. Amir Khan. Dr. Amir Khan um, is a GP. He's been in the NHS for over for 20 years. He's written books. Um, we sat down today and we chatted about so much. We chatted about mental health, uh, antidepressants. We chatted about things being stuck in bottoms. We chatted about me taking photos of my semen. We he chatted about life. We chatted about, we did medical myths. We got listeners' messages. I mean, there is so much in this episode, so I hope you really enjoy it. And Amir, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything, and just being so insightful with everything. Honestly, I, as I get older, I just worry so much about my health the whole time. It's crazy. Okay, listen, enough of me. Let's get on with the episode. Remember, guys, if you can follow us on social media, that would be amazing. And you can see all of the videos on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, at Private Podcast. And also, if you haven't subscribed, please do. Okay, here we go. Enjoy the episode with Dr. Amir Khan. I mean, before we begin, do I call you doctor? Do I call you sir? Well, <laughs> no, call me a man. Not even my patients call me doctor anymore. Do they not? No, because I've been at that practice for like 12 years. And I've, I've, yeah. I know them so well that everybody just calls me a man. Yeah, yeah. So please do. That feels like calling um, a teacher by their first name. I know. Or your parents. You know, when some people <laughs> call parents by their first name. I don't get that. My mum would kill me if I called her Amda. She'd literally slap me. <laughs> I, w- I want to say congratulations because it's 20 years in the NHS. Yeah, 20 years in the... I, I couldn't believe it. So... Uh, the, the reason I kind of made the calculation is because we get new trainees come to our practice, new GP trainees, and yeah. I train some of them. Uh, and and I normally start off with going, oh, yeah, I've been doing this and this and this. And, and I qualified in. And then I did the calculation. I was like, oh, shit, it's been 20 years That's since I qualified and, and working in the NHS. And a lot has, a lot has bloody changed in the really? NHS in that time. Yeah, it's so much harder now. Uh, but... In a way, it, 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 I mean, 20 years in the grand scheme of things of work isn't a long, long time. But I think to be in one organisation and see those changes, I think it's been it's been a real eye opener. And do you think it's changed for the better? Because it's tough, right? And, you know, it's changed for the worse by a mile. I, you know, I was there in the good days where when you made referrals for patients, they got seen in a timely fashion and people could get to see their GPs. I remember that when I first qualified, you know, people ring up and yeah, there was always a bit of a rush, but generally they could get seen. But now it's a 
completely different kettle fish. I, I worry about people who are not being seen. I worry about my patients that I refer and they're waiting forever to be seen by specialists. It, it's definitely changed for the worse. But I, I mean, we got so much to get into because I'm so interested. So I don't, I, and I wanted to hear about your history as well. But I, it, it's so true. I spoke to someone the other day who um, their brother was on the cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy list, yeah. waiting for a year. And that's good. Waiting Are you for a serious? Year. Yeah, yeah. If I'm referring, let's say I refer someone for a, uh, a mental health referral. Let's say I refer a child for an aut autism assessment. They yeah. could be waiting three to five years for that. And often what... That can't be right. It can't be right. And often then they, they're not children anymore. Uh, and then the referral comes back going, oh, well, they're too old for our service. You're going to have to refer them to the adult service. And it just goes round and round in circles. Uh, but it, why is that happening? A number of reasons. You know, the NHS has been, uh, has, has been poorly funded for a, a long, long time. Mm. Uh, and the con working conditions within the NHS have become much tougher, meaning people leave uh, and they don't feel valued for the work that they do and they get better offers elsewhere or they quit medicine uh, completely because it's, it's a tough place to be and they, they, they may burn out. Yeah. Or, or, or for, just for the sake of their own mental health, they, 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 they leave. Uh, and so we're, we're lacking in staff COVID obviously has been an issue as well, and that's created a backlog, but that backlog was there before then. Uh, and and I think working full-time in the NHS now, Jamie, is just really, really grinding. And it, it's it, hard. Yeah, it's hard work. It's hard work. But saying that, and the reason why I'm still in it, is is because the, the, the rewards are still there. They're still to be found if you if you if you really you know, do your job well. So when it's just me and a patient in a room, mm. even though we only get 10 minutes, uh, that that if you have a good quality consultation with that patient where you've really listened to them and the outcomes are, are good for the patient, whether that's an onward referral or treatment, and you have that connection with them. And I, I think part of that is because I've worked in the same practice for so long, yeah. uh, um, you, you do come away enriched by a good consultation. But at the same time, you do give a lot of yourself during each consultation and yeah. you're trained at the end of each day. Because you're constantly talking to people every, all day yeah. and reassuring people all the time. Yeah, yeah. Every 10 minutes, a new person will come in uh, and with a new problem, it could be absolutely anything. So I could see a newborn baby who's got a serious infection and then I could see a middle-aged man with a mental health condition. And this, and this is just yesterday, I'm giving an example of one, and then I can see uh, an older lady who's got a suspected cancer. And so all of that kind of, you, you have to change the way you approach things, your, minds make your mind makes really quick decisions yeah. all the time. And the other thing is, I generally have someone in the room with me, like a student or a trainee. So in between those consultations where I would normally be kind of um, reflecting and gathering my thoughts, I'm then explaining to them what's going on and then bringing new people oh in. Oh my God. I mean, so so you're, you're coaching while um, analyzing, while helping someone. I mean, it's so much going on. There's a lot going on. And, and part of that is the attraction of, you know, why I did general practice yeah. uh, but it is it is training and then you know you, you, the breaks that you used to get perhaps over lunchtime you're going on home visits or doing nursing home rounds and that kind of thing and then coming back you straight into afternoon clinic so it, it is tough it is tough and I and part of the, the training I give to future GPs is about self-preservation and looking after themselves because mm. I don't think I got any of that when I was training to be a GP uh, because it was a different ball game back then uh, um, but but that is a big part of of GP training now. Yeah, I, I mean, on this, I was I, we're going to get on to 
willies soon. We are, <laughs> can't we? <laughs> We're going to get onto that soon. But I, but I just, it's, you know, I think social media is, that's a real problem for people like GPs, especially for the NHS, because you look, people are within the NHS. So my, uh, one of my sister-in-law um, was a GP in the NHS. And you go on social media and you see all these people who are working what it seems like half as much, earning much more money, living these free sort of lives. And people in the industry are just grinding it, seeing horrific things, dealing with horrific things in bad working conditions, whatever it is. And so it's tough to go, why am I doing this? You've got yeah. to really just love it, right? You've got to you've got to really love it because it is it is tough. I won't lie to you, Jamie. It pays as well. It pays well when you're a qualified GP. It's not like a junior doctor. You I know? mean juniors, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it pays well, but... When you're a junior doctor, I remember, because again, you know, I'm from a very working class family. I remember coming out of university and for the first three or four years, I was living hand to mouth, like literally, you know, not sure whether my card would work in the supermarket when buying food. But that's, you know, part of, it shouldn't be, but it's part and parcel of being yeah. a junior doctor even now. Uh, and and so, and you're paying off debts and you're paying your rent, same, same as so many other people. Mm. It, it really does make you value what, um, you know, when I see my patients, because I work in inner city Bradford and yeah. it's a very deprived area. Totally. And I, I, I feel like I know what a lot of them are going through because I've been through it myself because I grew up there. Uh, and, and so I'm really grateful for what I've got. And even though the job is hard, uh, I'm just so grateful for being able to do the things that I can do now. And, and helping people is one of the yeah. greatest rewards in life. That's what people should be doing. Yes, yeah. And, and, and when you get that feeling that you have, I mean, you do get it in every consultation and some consultations are dysfunctional, but when you get that feeling that you have made a difference to someone or whether it's just reassurance or you've made a, a diagnosis that if you hadn't made it at that point and it was, the disease would allow, was allowed to progress and that could have been really bad for that person, wow. then, then you do get that. It's, 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 it's bad to say an endorphin brush, but it is an endorphin brush. Of course you know, you do, have done yeah. something positive for someone else. Uh, and they are somehow connected to you in a way that they weren't before that consultation. Yeah. And they will always have a slight connection with you. Because I see patients that, that you know, I when they came in with what we call red flag symptoms, that could be cancer. And I referred them and they had the test and it turned out to be cancer. And they've come through their treatment. And they now come and see me about other things. But we will always have that connection Amazing. from that time back then and it's an unspoken thing almost and and it's it, it's hard to describe but it is quite special i have uh my doctor is dr valet and she mm. is incredible i've had her for about 11 years now yeah. i have phoned her at like midnight before because i think because <laughs> so, i've got is she itch. a private gp <laughs> she, she's, yes. she's a <laughs> private pretty, gp yeah but but honestly i i found it because i had like an it, one time i'm not even kidding i had a dead leg and I, <laughs> and I thought i was dying so i phoned her up i said i'm actually dying my leg's gone numb yeah she was like honestly please just leave me alone that's what you must get a lot of the time with friends family things like that you oh must go you must all the time all get people the phoning. time like anywhere i go i think the worst place was i i, I like to frequent garden centers i'm a bit boring like that but uh they, they they and and they are the kind of people the people who go to garden centers are the kind of people who watch daytime tv as well yeah. which is what i'm on uh and so people will come up to me there the worst scenario that's why I you have, go so you get that, recognized yeah, yeah, i was gonna say please, like I, to hang out i just arrived i'm here <laughs> <laughs> i 
I set up shop. But a man, I was, I was just, I was looking at some delphiniums and a man came up to me and said, oh, you're that bloke at the telly, you're that doctor. I was like, oh yeah. Uh, thankfully, someone's recognised me. It's about bloody time. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, what's everyone yes. doing? <laughs> and I'm not, he pulled down his pants, Jamie, underwear and all, willy floating around in the wind. And he said, do you mind just having a look at this for You're me? You're lying. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And it was a, a rash in his groin. And these people were walking past and he went, it's all right, pants down. He's a doctor. And then one of the people who worked at the garden centre came up to us and went, this is not that kind of garden centre. I said, from where are these kind of garden centers? What kind of garden centers allow this kind of behavior? Anyway, we both got kicked out. Uh, and I had to write down the name of the cream he needed to get from the chemist. So you gave him a consultation? I, well, I had no choice. I'd seen the rash at this point, so I had to do something. I mean, it was just a fungal infection. He just That was all it was. But I have never been back to that garden centre ever since. But then even on a train, that I've is had... hilarious. <laughs> even on a train, I've had women like... Pull, not not in a good way, show me their tits and then say, what do you think this is? <laughs> so, we went to, I, I took my wife Sophie to uh, the doctors because she had, um, she had a, a mole on her, she had a sort of funky mole here. So we went yeah. to the doctors, not to Dr. Vlader, another doctor, um, a gentleman. And um, <laughs> the doctor said, okay, let me see this. So she showed her the mole and then he went, okay, I'm just going to check your other moles. And she went, okay, and took her top off yeah. and sat there. And he went, no, no, you don't need to <laughs> your top off. She was like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's really funny. Because Why do people just do that? I think they feel really comfortable with uh, with doctors. I once asked for a man, a man in my consulting room. I said, he came in with symptoms that could be his prostate, it could be urine. So I said, oh, would you give me a urine sample? And he went, yeah. So I gave him the bottle, fully expecting him to go to the loo, which is what normal, normally people do. And I just start typing on my computer while yeah. they do that. Again, pulled down his pants, started peeing into the pot right in front of me. And I said, oh, you know, there's a toilet over there. And he said, oh, no, I've been in the army. This is what we do. You have to you have to watch us taking a wee to make sure it's ours. I went, we're not in the army. We're in Bradford. <laughs> so, that is, I always find when... Um, <laughs> When I was younger, in my uh, more promiscuous days, yeah. I used to go to the doctor a lot because I used to have a uh, freak out. And that sort of stroll to the bathroom to pee in a cup and then walk back, it's like a, it felt like a walk of shame. It is a walk of shame. It's a complete walk of shame. <laughs> We're not judging you, though, Jamie. You are judging me 100%. <laughs> I had a case. I've written about this in my first book, and I have to keep it anonymous, but it is so funny. I had a case very early on in my career where a lady came in and she had some discharge uh, from her vagina. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, shall we, you know, should we have a look? Uh, uh, and, uh, and I had a look at it with a chaperone, obviously. And the discharge was very clearly to me chlamydia. Uh, and I sat <laughs> her back down and I said, look, you know, how are you sexually active? And she completely denied being sexually active. She said, no, she went, you're a pervert. Why are you asking me these questions? I'm a virgin. And I was like, okay. So we took a swab of it anyway. And off she went. And then the results came back as chlamydia. Uh, and, I, and I thought, right, normally I would just ring her up and tell her. I said, no, I'm going to bring her in and tell her this. Uh, and I brought her in. And I went, I just want to ask you a question, you know, um, before we get to the results. Um, are you sexually active? Uh, and she was like, no, I'm absolutely not. How dare you ask me that question? Anyway, I said, well, one of us in this room is not telling the truth. And it's not me. <laughs> and I showed her the results. And then... Did I you drop the mic? Yeah. As well. <laughs> and then she just went, that bastard and she got on her, on her phone dialed a number she went i'm gonna fucking kill you you've given me chlamydia <laughs> oh my god so yeah 
<laughs> these things happen. Oh my! It is. I. I don't know. I, it, it's one of these things, but that. Yeah, I mean, being the problem with being promiscuous is that it's it's kind of. I heard a statistic that something like fifty-two percent of sort of active uh, people having sex have herpes. Is that right? That sounds about right. I don't know the exact figures. 52%. Well, it's a, it's a common infection. It's a common infection and it's, it often has no symptoms, it? so you don't know whether you've got it. Uh, so, yeah, that sounds about right from my experience. I don't know off, off the top of my head whether that's a, a, a fact or not. But, yeah, lots of people have it. That's why, you, you know, be sexually active, be promiscuous, do what you need to do, but take precautions. Wear condoms. Wear Johnny's, yes. They just don't feel as good. No, they don't. But and you don't have to pay. If you go to your GP surgery, you can get. I'm married, so I'm fine. I, don't know why I whispered that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't mean to whisper it in a creepy way. <laughs> but you can, you can, you don't even have to buy them now. You can just get them for free from your GP surgery. I give them out with almost every consultation. I have yeah, have a packet of Johnny's as well. <laughs> yes, it's great. Uh, yeah. Okay, wait, tell me. So, why did you decide to become a doctor? Um, well, I'm South Asian, so that's why I decided to become a doctor. <laughs> it's the expectation of our culture. Uh, no, Because you wanted to be a vet as well, didn't I you? I did want to be a vet. I really did want to be a vet. Uh, I love animals. I, mm. I, still, I still do and do a lot of work with animal charities. And I was convinced I was going to be a vet. And I, um, when I, I, I did all my work experience at a veterinary surgery at age 16, I even helped catheterize a hamster uh, when I was 16 as well. I didn't do it. I just kind of passed over the catheter to, to the vet doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Which now actually seeing that, you know. You put a catheter in a hamster. Yeah. To do a, well, I did it. I passed it over yeah. and I held it in place while a, while a surgical procedure was being done on the poor little thing. Oh my God. I know. It was cute. Uh, it's always it, worse than doing it to a human. So much harder. <laughs> I can literally now throw a catheter into a human. I'm so, you know, having seen it done in a hamster, I just literally dart them in. Uh, the, 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 um, yes. Uh, and I, and then I went to my mum and I said, mum, I'm going to be a vet. And she kind of knew because I was, I was doing all this work experience. Mm. And she just laughed at me. She went, um, <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, and I went, what do you mean, mum? I've done everything to be a vet. Uh, and she was like, no. Uh, and she went, no. It's funny how, um, Parents can put pressure on us, yeah, to, to and and lead us into a direction that maybe we don't want to take sometimes, but you kind of get sort of pushed towards it. Yeah, and you know what? Now I'm so glad she did because I really the job is hard, but I really like it, and and I'm and I'm glad I'm doing it, and I can't see myself doing anything else. Mm. Uh, but at the time, I was quite resentful, uh, but I did it anyway because I was scared of my mother, and uh, and and so I did it, but. In a way, you know, obviously everything my mum says isn't right, but this time it, it was the right thing to to mm. have done. And I can still work with animals in different capacities, but, you know, I think I, I don't think I'd enjoy being a vet as much as I, I enjoy being a doctor. I remember I had a, I had a knee operation and I did my ACL ligament and um, I was in hospital and uh, with a sort of general anaesthetic, sometimes you can't pee. Yeah. It yeah. stops you from peeing. Yes. I didn't know this, so I couldn't pee at all. And I call for the nurse. The nurse comes in. I say, I can't pee. And she said, okay, well, don't worry. Let's just see what happens. Let's wait a little bit. So wait a little bit longer. Still couldn't pee. And so they came back in. I said, I, I, my stomach was out here. It's so bloated. And they said, look, okay, fine. We're going to put a catheter yeah. in you. So I phoned up my mum and said, don't worry. It's okay. They're going to put a catheter in me. And they said where the catheter goes. Yeah. Goes in your urethra. Yeah, urethra. Urethra. <laughs> goes in your willy. 
Yeah. Inside, yeah. How where did you think it went? In your throat, I thought. I thought it was gonna drain it from <laughs> my just throat. Gonna, like just the urine comes out your mouth. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even think about it. So do you know what I did instead? I went and got a, a bowl of hot water. Okay. And yes. I uh put myself oh, that sounds terrible. I put my penis in it and then I was able to pee. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I haven't tried that technique before with my patients. Normally we just go straight for the catheter. <laughs> Does the catheter hurt? Oh, God, yeah. So, oh, my so God. So what we normally Imagine have to they... do is we, 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 have, we have a syringe full of an anaesthetic, a yeah. local anaesthetic, and we stick that in the... In the, in the in well, in the penis and uh, and you in, you inject it in so it goes into the urethra and mm -hmm. it's supposed to numb it and it does to a degree and then you stick the catheter in when things are a bit numb but it is uncomfortable but it's not as uncomfortable as what you were in which is called urinary retention where where the bladder holds on to so much uh urine yeah. that there's a risk of it rupturing. So that's why it's a surgical emergency. We have to drain the catheter because if the catheter burst like a balloon then you're in you're in much more trouble so it's definitely worth um oh having the catheter God. hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm sure that you must have had uh, so many crazy things coming to your office what are some of the wild things that you've experienced oh gosh so much uh i've had someone take a poo in my room <laughs> on the floor <laughs> why is everyone peeing and pooing in your office i don't know why it happens i think the most disgusting thing that's happened to me i do um, minor surgery so yeah. so any kind of uh lumps and ingrowing toenails and all that kind of stuff i will take off yeah the juicier the cyst, the better. A bit like Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh. I love a juicy cyst. I just love them. Uh, and so when I first started doing it, before I, I now know what not to do, uh, you, you put kind of the anesthetic underneath it. So you inject it with anesthetic, which makes it like even juicier because it mm -hmm. kind of fills the bottom of it with fluid. So it stands out even more. And then you have to make an incision over the top. Uh, and I, I work with this healthcare assistant uh, called Karen and she's she loves a juicy cyst as well. We both get very excited when someone comes in with a massive kind of abscess or cyst. 
Uh, anyway, just quickly with us is what is that 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 build up? It's yeah. So we all have glands on our skin called sebaceous glands, yeah. and they secrete a fluid called sebum, which keeps our skin supple. And those glands can get blocked, and then you end up with a cyst. Often people get them in their scalp or on their backs. They're not painful, and they're not sinister in any way, but they're a bit unsightly, and they can get in the way of things. Uh, God, so, how exciting to get a cyst! Yes. Oh my yes, lord! Can you oh my god! So. So this time, again, very early on, I've learned from this, uh, I was making the incision. And you know when you're really concentrating on something and you yeah. stick your tongue out? Oh. <laughs> and it exploded. Oh. And the pus landed on my tongue. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and But obviously, I am a professional, so I couldn't stop doing what I was doing. So I just had to do the whole thing with my tongue out. And I was talking to him <laughs> like this. And... The more you have your tongue out, the more saliva is produced. So it was kind of just slowly dissolving. Oh, my, my God. I mean, that is the most <laughs> vile. I don't think you could swallow anything worse. I didn't swallow. <laughs> I did the whole thing. And Karen, poor Karen, was in hysteric. She was trying not to laugh. We, it was on this patient's back, so he couldn't mm. see anything. So he didn't know what was going on. So I quickly took out the cyst, stitched him up. And then I ran to the bathroom. And I swear to God, Jamie, to this day, I can still taste it. It was oh, so horrible. Oh, my Lord. It was so horrible. <laughs> I, oh, my God. I once, I, I was in um, Bolivia. Oh, yeah. And I had eaten some bad food. My stomach was about, and I was so unwell. Mm. I was so unwell. And I went to the hospital and um, it was sort of broken. You know, I, I couldn't really speak Spanish. And... I was trying to sort of articulate what was going on. They didn't know, so they handed me a pot and they basically had told me to go and poo in this pot. Yeah. So I went to the bathroom to go and poo in the pot. Yeah. And because my stomach was so bad, I diarrhoeaed everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> like everywhere. Oh, my God. It was the most embarrassing what thing. What did you do? Did you clean it up? Well, I had to, I had to wipe it off. Oh, I, had to, I had to wipe it up. But I imagine, you know, so you had that... People, all, I always hear these rumours where people seem to um, get things stuck in their rectum. Yeah. Why is that? Why does that seem to happen quite a lot? Well, I don't think they're familiar with what <laughs> things can go in and out of a rectum. Because a rectum is like a vacuum. It's, yes, it will suck things in. It will. <laughs> so I did about a year and a half in a &E, and that's yeah. where you see these things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and everybody's seen the x-rays with the light bulbs and the pears and all of that. No thing. way, a light bulb. Yes, a light bulb. I mean, there's no way someone's put a light bulb up their bum. Yeah, they have. Not like good of the big, they're like the candle type light bulbs. It's like the, those the Pringle like trick where you'd not to crack the Pringle, you do it with a light bulb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> the, thing, the worst thing is, it is virtually impossible to pull these things out. So you have to put them under a general anesthetic and get it out, out that way. So how do you, how do you get it out? Oh, you you essentially you have to stick your hand up there and 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 pull it out. But you have to you because it's it's very painful. So you, you have to put them to sleep. <laughs> you treat them like a cow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very long gloves. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And it's been a long time since I've done anything like that. To be to be honest, because that doesn't come to general practice. That goes to to the hospital. Yeah. Why do why are people and and I and I think John is generalized, but typically men aren't very good at coming to doctors and explaining things. Why is that? I think there's there's all it's all goes back to that toxic masculinity, isn't it? People don't want to admit there might be something wrong with them. It might make them feel 
like less of a man. Yeah. Uh, and so they put things off. And often what, what I get is, is, is blokes coming in to see me. As a bloke doctor, it's similar to with, with women, they will get more women coming to see them. As, as a bloke doctor, I get more men coming to see me. And a lot of the consultations will start off with like, oh, well, you know, I didn't want to come, but my wife made me come. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so that is where we start the consultation with what was she worried about rather than what they're worried about. And that opens up that. But yeah, I think they're embarrassed. Uh, I don't think they want to admit something's wrong, particularly if it's a, a physical health problem related to their genital area. That's always more difficult for them to talk about. Yeah. And they may come in and talk about something else completely different uh, and work their way up to talk or down to talking uh, about that. Uh, uh, and leave little crumbs or clues. And that's where the consultation skills come in because then you you pick up on that and go, actually, you're not here for this problem. You're here for something else. Uh, so they leave like a little breadcrumb. Yeah, a little breadcrumb. So it's like a guessing game. So you... you Yes, yes. And often we, we have something called hand on the door syndrome where they're leaving and they put yeah. their hand on the door handle and they go, actually, it's just one more thing. And that's the real reason they, they came in for. Is that what it's called? Yeah, hand on the door syndrome. <laughs> what yeah yeah really common uh especially with blokes uh, yeah. and especially when it comes to to willies because they, you know they don't want to talk about their willies so much they do with their mates i'm so open with it though i just don't care i know but i would just i think i'm such an advocate for talking about it and being open with things like that and that's so important and it's really good that we do that but if you're a working class bloke from up north yeah. you're not and those are the patients i see they're not going to talk about it so it's up to me to get them to open up and talk about it talk to me about the the problem with porn and for I, I sort of truly believe that porn is sort of desensitizing us yeah. in so many ways. And, you know, people then get erectile dysfunction, all these different things because they can't become, you know, aroused because they don't. Do you think porn's a bad thing? I, I think it's not as black and white as it's a bad thing. Sure. Uh, I, I think there are some uh, aspects. I think from, from, from a, strictly from a medical point of view, yes, it probably is. It's not a good thing uh, because, as you say, it can desensitise people. There's too much access to it, uh, particularly for young people yeah. and children. That is a real problem. But why is that a problem? Well, children should not be exposed to to graphic sexual material because it's not appropriate for children. It's got age restrictions on, but there isn't really. You can click a button and you get past those age yeah. restrictions and, and, and that's that. And it then gives them a very unrealistic expectation of what sex should be like. And it could even increase the risk of violence towards women because of some of the way women are uh, uh, portrayed in in porn. Uh, uh, and, and I think that is... A real danger and we've seen that in society you know how women are are graphically portrayed uh we see it yeah. you know in those kind of incel communities that mm. rely heavily on porn for their sexual gratification how that if that's their only way they see women uh that that's really problematic uh and 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 women you know are, are not they're, they're objectified as sexual beings in those um, yeah. in those things for only for the gratification of men and men will be watching porn for their own gratification there's no other reason you're not watching it for the storylines or what or anything <laughs> like that are you? you're watching it for gratification so it, it, it skews people's uh feelings towards women and if you're on that young impressionable age it changes how it might change how you feel about about women and what you see them as um that's interesting. Because then it goes on to that sort of fact about, 
the, that sort of dopamine hit mm. that we get. And this is what you sort of see on social media with TikTok. That constant dopamine hit, whether it's porn or social media or whatever, that can't be good for the mind. That we sort of had this overflow of dopamine all the time. It means that when we're not having that, we must crash. Yes, and, and, and that up and down is not natural. That's not how we evolved. You know, the way we evolved before the Industrial Revolution, before uh, TikTok, uh, you know, we, our, our dopamine hit came from, from things like our natural environment. So the food we were eating, the interaction we were having with other people, nature around us, uh, and all of that uh, was a more steady kind of, there'll be an ebbs and flows of dopamine, of course there would be, uh, but it's not these kind of, want that because dopamine it, it stimulates the parts of the brain uh that hard drugs do and you get the hit yeah uh, can you and, explain you know, the, 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 what dopamine is in the body yeah so dopamine th there's a number of kind of happy brain chemicals uh that give you a pleasurable feeling and you you get it from lots of different things anything that brings you pleasure will give you dopamine so it could be food chocolate that you're eating or alcohol mm -hmm. it could be playing uh, uh you know gaming or it could be a loving relationship those are you know those are different things but if if you're watching um tiktok videos you know on the whole that's not harmful because mm. a lot of the tiktok videos are, you know if you're just watching animals do funny things that will make you laugh or uh, uh, and and give you that dopamine hit the danger is uh these the dopamine binds to receptors and makes you feel good and yeah. then it lets go of those receptors and then you're no longer feeling good and what you're then searching for is that feel good feeling when it comes to porn and and then over time you're, so it's a, so it's a it's a chemical it's a chemical yeah a neurotransmitter a brain chemical and over time, what will happen is you will get more and more of these receptors and it will take more dopamine for you to feel the same effect that you did initially. Mm. And so you search for things that, that, that are more hard hitting than what originally made you feel good. And that's where the danger of porn comes. You, you, you go for more and more harder because you want but you want more of a hit more yeah, of a hit more because of a hit. this is not working for me anymore it worked for me before but i've seen it and i don't want to see that again i want to see something different a bit a bit more graphic perhaps so is dopamine addictive it is addictive then dopamine itself isn't addictive mm. uh um the, the 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 process of addiction is really complicated and and different um receptors play a part uh what addiction is 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 the depend de the dependence on something but also the withdrawal side of things comes into the the definition yeah. of of addiction so things that are addictive like smoking and hard drugs and alcohol do give you a dopamine hit but that isn't the only thing they do there's there's a lot more going on with an addiction than that uh it it, it kind of I, I did a, a, a show around whether sugar was addictive because you get a dopamine hit, it, it, it kind of then stimulates what, the same part. What was your um, analysis? Well, I, I tried to get myself addicted on sugar. I, I, I For four weeks, I ate nothing but but refined food and sugar. Sounds divine. Sounds <laughs> it, it started fantastic. off divine and then it became really like a chore because I was like craving like, like spinach by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came off it like just cold turkey for two weeks. And it what was a great awful. experiment. Yeah, it was it was good and in that time i spoke to specialists around addiction I, I had an mri of my brain to see what parts of my brain were stimulated and it is the same parts that that are stimulated by by hard drugs but the difference with sugar is that you don't 
get the same level of withdrawal that you do with alcohol and hard drugs. So that is why there's a debate over whether sugar is addictive. Talk to me about what it does to uh, these, how the brain changes when you become addicted to things. What happens to the brain? So the, the brain itself doesn't change. It's the receptors on the, in the brain and the, and the nervous system. So mm. whether, if something is addictive, let's, let's talk about, I don't know, let's talk about something that lots of people are addicted to is opiates. Uh, so it could be prescribed yeah. opiates like codeine or tramadol or morphine, or it could be something like heroin that people are taking. I saw uh, that amazing show, Dope Sick. Yes. Oh my yes. God, yeah. Yeah, so so op- when you when you take cocodamol, let's say, codeine for some pain relief, initially you will get the pain relief because codeine binds to opiate receptors. Uh, it blocks the pain pathway. Uh, and so you you feel some benefit from it. Uh, and that's dangerous. It is dangerous. But over time, you will develop more and more receptors that need filling to get the same effect, yeah. which is why you become tolerant to the dose of opiates or tolerant to the drugs that you're taking because you've got, you've got more and more receptors being developed. And actually, to fill them, you need to take higher and higher doses of it, which is why, you know, certainly, you know, we're very careful about prescribing opiate-based medication for pain because long-term, it's not going to do you any good. Short-term, it might do, but long-term, it's no good for you and you'll just ask for more and more and more and you'll still be in pain. Uh, um, but that's that's what happens. And the, so the recept, it's the receptors that change in the brain and on your nerves. Mm. You gain more and more of them and you need more to achieve the same effects. But then the more receptors you have, when you stop filling them, they will start screaming at you saying, what's going on? We're not being filled. You're not happy. Uh, And that's where withdrawal comes in, uh, which is why um, if you are going to withdraw from anything, you should do it in a controlled fashion. But people talk about addiction as a disease. Mm, Yes. Would you describe it also as a disease? Totally as a disease. I think people get addicted to things not there's an element of choice involved, but there's an element of circumstance involved as well, which is beyond their control. So prescription drugs, that is not the responsibility of the patient. That is the responsibility of the clinician prescribing them to not get people addicted to them. Uh, uh, Drugs, alcohol, often as a result of what things are going on around them, that are beyond their control. You know, certainly from, from my point of view, and I, you know, I, again, I work in a very socially deprived area, the, the, the choices that people can make in that place are limited uh, and, yeah. and it's really hard. And they often, you know, alcohol is the only thing that makes them feel a little bit better for a short period of time. And it's, it's instant relief. Yeah. People yeah. are so, we're so now <clears throat> in this stage where we just want instant relief, you know, be entertained, watch YouTube. Yes. Um, feel like so when it comes to mental health or whatever that you're dealing with you just want instant relief instant now now relief. now and alcohol helps that exactly. or an opioid or, or heroin or whatever it is and and cognitive behavioral therapy or talking therapy or nature therapy or even antidepressants don't give you that same instant relief that you can get from those things that we know in the long term are harmful yeah uh, uh but but people there's you know it's so difficult and challenging for some people that they 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 really need that instant relief. I mean, I'm so interested in this because I, I did a police show once where it was in Peterborough, you know, mm. and that it's not even that far north, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But, it, but it was, you know, there's some rough areas in Peterborough. Very, yeah. And the one thing that I took out of it, I did it for, you know, a month or whatever, just going around. The one thing what I realized is that the sort of mental health pandemic is like a lava yeah. going through cities and villages and towns across the UK, across the world. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. And the one of the things that, that and I don't want to get too heavy, but 
Well, it's going to get heavy. Is the police officer just be warned, Jamie, that you probably will find a hanging. That's mm. what we'll probably find this week. And I, it honestly hit something like so upsettingly within me mm-hmm. that this is happening to all these people in all these ages and yeah. men, women, doesn't matter who it is. Why is this, why is this sort of pandemic happening? Oh, the, the, the reasons are, are, are multiple, really. I think, you know, it starts right from, from, from birth. You know, there's, there, there, there's, there's, uh, it's, <sighs> The services that are there to support new families are no longer there. Uh, um, so things like Sure Start Centres, we always use that example. But anything, even the role of things like health visitors and midwives, because they're so stretched, that support that is needed right from birth is no longer in place. That that was there when I started medicine. Uh, and and midwives and health visitors, there's fewer of them. Their, their job roles have changed. They can't yeah. go into people's homes in the way that they used to. They can't support new mums, new dads. Because of health uh, and safety? No, because there just isn't enough funding for them. Uh, uh, health and safety, I go into people's <clears throat> homes all the time when I do home visits. They do go into some people's homes, but they can't go into the, the number of homes they, they used to and put that support in. They can't just do, they have to be there for a reason. There has to be a problem. They can't go like they used to just to check in to make sure everything was okay. Mm. They have to prioritize the high risk families and then everyone in the middle and at the bottom of that don't get any input in. And the, the community services that were there to support families and children as they develop when, uh, are not in place like they used to be. And then that expands all the way through, right through to adulthood. Um, so, you know, for some people, again, you know, I, I can only talk about my experience of working in the North because I worked in Liverpool and then Yorkshire. Mm. Uh, you know, the opportunities and the choices that people have uh, to try and better their lives are not there. And they're stuck in a perpetual cycle of decisions that are out of their control, poverty, uh, which leads to drug and alcohol and cigarette use. Uh, and that impacts their physical health which makes it harder for them to pull themselves out of that cycle impacts their mental health okay everyone we're going to stop there that is the end of part one now just remember click over to part two of the episode to listen to the rest of it Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.